0: Everybody, Good morning. so glad to be with you guys today. Thanks for being here. If you're new with us, I'm so thankful you're, you're here and would love to get to know you after the service. And hope you make yourself at home today. Uh, last week, I want to fill you in. We, we began raising money for um, the solar powered water wells in Swaziland, and uh, they're 15000 each. Um, it's a big process to get that out in the boonies. You have to have people drive up from South Africa, and and so we're we're hoping. I don't know. We're ideally we want to get two done. It would be thirty grand, but we're starting with one. Anyways, three thousand dollars came in last week um, for that. So praise God. Yeah, praise God. I was like, we didn't know how that was gonna work, but we want to keep that in our. Um, in our focus, and, you know, we just really believe, and I, I, I've appreciated even um, Mitch before me, he really believed that as our church grows and builds a building, we need to be investing money out there in the kingdom and helping other people uh, grow where they're at. And so we want to do that. So thank you for, for doing that, and please continue to, to give toward that as you also give to Cedar Home. i um, curious, how many of you uh, were teenagers in the late 60s or early 70s? If you could raise your hand just so I can get an idea. Wow, okay, cool. Um, This week I I came across a song by Johnny Cash uh, that I'd never heard before. And the song is called, What is Truth? Anybody heard that song? I'm just curious. Okay, so some of us. Um, He wrote it in 1970 1970 to kind of give a voice to the confusion that teenagers and young people were feeling at that time. You had the Vietnam War going on, uh, which many of you were in. Uh, You had uh, the hippie movement growing across the country. You had Watergate scandal happening. Uh, Can you trust the president? Can you trust the government? Uh, You had young people all over the place who didn't know who to trust, and what to believe and it's a short song so I do want to listen to it together and uh, we're going to put it up on the screen and so let's go ahead and
1: the old man turned off the radio said where did all of the old songs go kids sure play funny music these days they play it in the strangest ways." said, it looks to me like they've all gone wild. It was peaceful back when I was a child. Well, man, could it be that the girls and boys are trying to be heard above your noise? And the lonely voice of you cries, what is true? A little boy of three sitting on the floor looks up and says, Daddy, what is war? Son, that's when people fight and die. A little boy of three says, Daddy, why? Young man of 17 in Sunday school, being taught the golden rule. And by the time another year's gone around, it may be his turn to lay his life down. Can you blame the voice of you for asking what is true? the man with the book says, raise your hand, repeat after me, I solemnly swear, the man looked down at his long hair, and although the young man solemnly swore, nobody seemed to hear anymore, and it didn't really matter if the truth was there, it was the cut of his clothes and the length of his hair, and the lonely voice of you cries, what is true? Tell somebody that he cares. Yeah, the ones that you're calling wild are going to be the leaders in a little while. This old world's waking to a newborn day, and I solemnly swear that it'll be their way. You better help that voice of you find what is true. And the lonely voice of you cries, what is truth?
0: So the purpose here today is not to, uh, I'm not here to promote Johnny Cash necessarily, um, but to wrestle with the content of the song, uh, which in my opinion could have been written today. Um, and three takeaways from this song briefly. Young people are searching for truth still, okay? They want to know what to believe, what should I give my life for? Second, young people are confused about who to believe, okay? Who do you believe when you hear... I mean, about real news versus fake news and real facts versus alternative facts. Who do you believe when you, you go to the University of Washington and you hear a professor say one thing, you go to a different university and the same professors of, a, of the same course will say something different? Uh, who do you believe when, <clears throat> when <clears throat> our society says, you can, you know, things we used to just know, like you're a boy, you can't just take that for granted. It's, it's what you feel like being. That's confusing for young people. And third, Johnny Cash is right when he tells us, church, you better help the voice of youth find out what is truth. Because the young people around us are forming their worldviews right now, and they will act now and in the future according to what they believe is true and right. So Christians, we have a responsibility to share truth with the world in general and with young people people specifically because they are, what he says, the future leaders. And it's true. They are future leaders of their families, future leaders of the church, future leaders of our cities and of our country. And if you're a young person here today, I encourage you to pay attention closely because you are going to hear the truth this morning. Now, whatever a person believes about Jesus, he or she cannot say that Jesus didn't care about the truth, Okay. Whatever a person believes about Jesus Christ, he or she must agree that Jesus believed in something called truth or uh, objective truth. Jesus believed that truth is real and it's knowable, okay? So truth refers to the the way that things really are, okay? Truth is not whatever a person wants to be real. Truth is what is real, And in fact, Jesus cared about the truth so much that he was killed for preaching, teaching truth. Jesus wanted to know, um, wanted everyone to know, wanted us to know what the truth is. He wants us to know the truth about ourselves, about the world we live in, about God, about life after death. And so if we are Jesus' disciples, if we are, not assuming everybody in here is, but if we are, we also will care about what our master cares about. We will care about truth we will care about sharing the truth with others like Jesus did. And if we do care about what Jesus cared about, then we also can, be expect, can expect to be persecuted like our master was persecuted for sharing the truth. Now, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to John 18. <clears throat> we're going to be in verses 28 to 38 today. And we're, we're going to be talking about what is truth. This is the question Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, asks. Jesus, what is truth? This isn't something that current teenagers are just asking or that teenagers in the late 60s were asking. This has been a question for the history of humanity. What is truth and who should I believe? And in this passage, in John 18, verse 28, the time is about 6.30 a.m. on the day that Jesus is gonna die. And he was, remember, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane earlier by some Jewish officers and by some Roman soldiers. That was about midnight. And then he was taken in the middle of the night to the house of the former high priest named Annas to be interrogated about his teachings. And then Annas wanted Jesus dead. And so he sent Jesus along to his son-in-law's house. His name was Caiaphas. And he was the current high priest in charge of the Jewish Sanhedrin which was the Jewish court and in the middle of the night Caiaphas and the other Jewish leaders had an illegal trial and they tried Jesus and they accused him of blasphemy against God. They wanted him to be put to death and they wanted him to be killed before the end of the day because the Passover festivities were coming with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread we read about, and they didn't want to have to worry about all this stuff messing up their festivities, okay? And since the Jews, though, were living under Roman occupation, they didn't have the authority to put a person to death anymore. So according to Roman law where they lived, only the Romans could put somebody to death. So what do they do? Send Jesus to the Romans. So the Sanhedrin sends Jesus to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, about 6.30 in the morning, it was common for Roman leaders to start their day early, around 6 or 6.30 a.m., and they wanted to be done before noon. And so, early in the morning, this mob of Jews show up at Pilate's court, Jesus is tied up, and the Roman trial is about to begin. Before we read that, let's pray. Dear Lord, as we read this passage today, we ask that you would help us um, We thank you that we can be together to open your word. Thank you for giving it to us in our our language. Uh, As we read this, we ask that you would impress upon us your love for us as we read about the injustice that you endured for our sake. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use your word today to grant us repentance from our sin, to grant us faith in you. Please strengthen the members of our church in faith, and help us to be more passionate followers of you. Uh, we, we just admit that we can get nothing out of the next 40 minutes without your help. And so we ask you, Lord, please help us. Please protect us from the evil one. And please glorify your name. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's start by looking at John 18, 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So the leaders of the Jews take Jesus to be tried uh, by Pontius Pilate at the governor's headquarters. Now, we might think of this is similar to like today the governor's mansion. Okay, it's kind of a nice mansion. Uh, provided by the state where the governor lives. He also has rooms inside where he can conduct official business if needed. And Pilate was just starting his day, and we read that the Jews themselves refused to go inside the headquarters, his his, his mansion, his place where he lived. Yeah, and that's because according to Jewish tradition, the Jews would become ceremonially unclean if they entered a Gentile dwelling place. Okay? And the... And you could get cleansed from that, but with the feasts going on, they didn't want to miss out on any of it, especially if they were the leaders who could, you know, walk around with a lot of pomp and circumstance and be seen by everybody. They wouldn't want to be outside of the ceremonies for a little while, so let's just stay outside of Pilate's place and let's not corrupt ourselves. Now, it's ironic how hypocritical that is, because they were more than willing to just break the Jewish laws in order to have an illegal trial by night when nobody was looking. But they weren't willing to break the Jewish laws when people were looking in the daytime. They weren't willing to break any ceremonial laws if it meant that they were gonna miss out on the festivals uh, where they would be honored by other people. And so, so the Jewish leaders don't go into the residence of Pilate. They stand outside in front of the residence and Pilate comes out to them. Verses 29 to 30 says, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So now Jesus' official Roman trial begins. Remember before there was a Jewish trial, basically based on religious offenses. And now the Roman trial by the empire begins and remember that instead of talking to Jesus first, who's the defendant, Pilate begins by talking to the witnesses. And he asks the Jews, what accusation do you bring against this man? And the Jews answered him, if, if he weren't doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Okay. So right off the bat, the Jews accuse him of doing evil, which is not true. And they tell Pilate that the evil is done is he has, that Jesus has done is so serious that it warrants them bringing Jesus to Pilate's court to be put to death. Now Pilate, remember, he's a Roman guy. He's not interested in the religious offenses of the Jews. He doesn't care about that. What he wants is stay away from, just quit making problems for me, okay? Just, we'll let you live here, but I don't care about this, your religious issues, And so in verse 31, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate says, go ahead, take him, try him by your own law. And the Jews essentially tell Pilate, Governor Pilate, you don't understand this is not just any normal criminal. This criminal needs to be put to death by the Roman Empire for his crimes. And according to Roman law, because we want to be subservient to you, we can't put anyone to death. It's interesting, in Luke's gospel, because we have four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Luke actually lists the charges that the Jews brought against Jesus here in Pilate's court. Uh, Luke 23, 1-2 to says... Then the whole group of them rose up and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation, forbidding us to pay the tribute tax to Caesar, and claiming that he himself is Christ, a king. So the Jews could see that this wasn't having an effect on Pilate. He didn't care about their religious problems. And so what they did is they changed the accusations to political offenses that they thought might offend Pilate because he was part of the Roman Empire. First, they say that Jesus was guilty of subverting the Jewish nation, which would have included trying to make the Jews disloyal to the Romans. And second, the Jewish leaders say that Jesus told them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government, which many of you remember is exactly the opposite of what he said. Uh, In Luke 20... Jesus told them to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to render to God what is God's. And third, the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of of claiming to be a king. He's claiming to be a king. He's saying he's gonna undermine Caesar and he's gonna lead a rebellion against the empire if you don't do something. Now, if Jesus were really claiming this and if he were trying to do this, obviously the Romans would have him put to death and If he were truly one of the worst criminals ever, um, then the Romans wouldn't have spared him. They would have made an example out of him. and They would have had him crucified. And this is why, now remember this. Crucifixion was a Roman way of death, torture of death. It wasn't a Jewish torture of death. So this is why John writes in 1832... This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You remember earlier in the Bible, it says, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree, okay? This is God sovereignly ordaining his plan to have his own son crucified, not by the Jews, they'd be part of it, but by the Roman means of execution. Earlier, Jesus said that he would be lifted up for all to see, so Jesus had predicted, it says here, that the Romans would kill him by crucifixion. Again, this shows us Jesus is God. He's the one overseeing this. They're fulfilling his plan of salvation for us. <clears throat> but Pilate, who wasn't yet convinced of Jesus' guilt. We know from the other Gospels he also had his wife who had come to him and said, I had a dream about this guy, you need to let him be. Don't mess with Jesus. He's innocent. Okay? So that could be part of the reason why Pilate's not quick to pull the trigger on this. Because Pilate was not a nice guy. You know from extra biblical sources too that he was he had a he was you could call an insecure leader. He wanted to use power to make an example out of people to show how big and bad he was. But his wife had told him, Don't mess with this one. I had a dream. So Pilate brings Jesus into his headquarters to question him without his accusers present. They stay outside. Verses 33 to 35 say So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So here, Pilate tries to get out a confession out of Jesus. He asks Jesus if he's the king of the Jews or if he thinks he is. And of course, we know, we know, many of us know that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And in fact, he's more than that. He's the king of the whole world. But Jesus was not the type of king that the Jews wanted The Jews wanted a king who would be born in opulence, who would build this huge military force to be reckoned with. They wanted a king who would come in and destroy the Roman Empire and free the Jews and bring them back to their own land. So think about this. It is ironic that here in Pilate's court, the Jews falsely accuse Jesus of having all the qualities that they truly wanted in their Messiah, and if Jesus was truly guilty of all these things, they wouldn't have ever brought him in the first place because that's the king that they wanted. And when Pilate asks Jesus if he's a king, Jesus answers with a question like, like any good rabbi would do. And Jesus asks Pilate what he thinks about him. And Pilate, he, in our words, I mean, he basically says, Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm not a Jew, it's your people. It's your leaders who delivered you to me. What have you done to make them so mad at you? Okay. And Jesus still doesn't answer either of Pilate's questions. He he doesn't tell Pilate that he's God. He doesn't tell Pilate what he's done to make the Jews so mad at him. Instead, verse thirty-six says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus is kind of cryptically talking at this point to Pilate. And he's saying, yes, Pilate, I have a kingdom. In fact, I am your king. Okay. Because my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not like the Roman Empire or the Babylonian Empire or the Persian Empire or any of the greatest empires of the history of the world. My kingdom didn't start on earth. In fact, my kingdom never started. It's always been, because I've always been. And my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and it's a physical kingdom. And it includes everything in existence because I made everything. It all belongs to me, it's all subject to me. My kingdom is greater and more glorious than you can begin to fathom, Pilate. Because humanity, though, has allowed sin to corrupt my creation, my kingdom. They have instead become slaves to a different master. They're slaves to the kingdom of of Satan and sin. And that's why none of them are here to testify about me. Because their sin has warped their minds and their hearts and their bodies and their souls. But I'm here to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back with my blood. And I'm going to use you to take that blood out of me. And with that blood, I will forgive my people and I'm gonna restore my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. This is the message hiding behind Jesus' words. And according to verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born and for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So this, this, this time Jesus isn't playing games with Pilate anymore. Jesus plays all his cards. Okay? With his words, Jesus affirms that he is a king. And he says that he has come from his kingdom, which is not from earth, because it's from heaven. And Jesus tells Pilate that he came to earth for this purpose. He has come into the world to bear witness to what? To the truth. Jesus says, I came to tell the world that I made the truth. I'm all about the truth. That's why I came, not to lie to people, but to tell people the truth about my kingdom in heaven which they can be part of if they trust in me, if they believe the truth, if they believe in the power of my blood, which I'm gonna shed for them. I want you to think about this for a minute. Why was it so important to Jesus to tell the truth to the world? Why was it so crucial to tell us the truth, so crucial to him that he was willing to suffer and die for? it. I mean, this would have been a really good time to wave the white flag and to surrender to the Jews and to the Romans, he's about to be flogged to the point of near death. Why doesn't Jesus just recant and say, okay, guys, I didn't mean anything I said. I'm sorry, just let me go. I'll go back to Nazareth, my quiet little town, and I promise I'm not gonna make any more trouble for you. Why was it so important to Jesus that you and I know the truth? Well, let me briefly list four reasons that I think scripture gives us. First, Jesus wants you to know the truth because he wants you to see who your God is. I don't know what you think God is like or what you have been led to believe God is like by your parents or by this culture or the culture you grew up in or by the TV shows and cartoons and movies you watched growing up, but if you want to know who God really is and what God is really truly like, Jesus says, "Look at me." Okay? Read what Jesus said and what he did according to the four gospel writers in the New Testament who lived with him, who followed him. See this in John 10:30, Jesus says, "I and the Father are one." So God is a three-in-one God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know what God is really like, if you want to know how God really feels about you and about this world, then listen to Jesus. You start by reading the words that he spoke on earth that we read in the four gospels, and then you read the whole Bible because it's all his word, right? If God is the same and he's never changed, he did, that means he did not start existing when he came to earth. Jesus has been on the throne since long before the foundation of the world. And as the second member of the triune God, he inspired all of the Bible. And he spoke through the writers as they were led to write in their own distinct languages and writing styles to give us what we have as his word. And it is all the story of God's love for broken people. So many passages in the Bible talk about how Jesus shows us who God is. Let's quickly look at one though. This is just worshipful. This is fun to do. Hebrews twelve, one to two, or sorry, Hebrews one, one to twelve. So this is how Hebrews starts. Chapter one, verses one to twelve. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is the Lord, okay? For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you... So God the Father talking to Jesus, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. is <laughs> that awesome? well Jesus wants, this is, talking about Jesus, and this is, The God who wants you to know the truth because he wants you to see who he is. He wants you to know who the one is who made you. And he wants you to see that you were made for him and that you can enjoy him as he fills you with joy right now on earth and for all eternity. God wants you to see him for who he really is. And the second reason why Jesus wants you to know the truth is because we have, humanity has exchanged the truth of who he is for a lie. Before sin entered the world, we read that we we did see God as he is. We, We did live in his presence. We did have life with him. But when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, they brought onto humanity and into humanity the sin of Disbelief, and now spiritual blindness and hard-heartedness to God. And now if we, if we don't belong to Jesus, then we are under God's wrath because of our sin against God. And the Bible says that our experience of God's wrath is, is only partially realized during our lives on earth in all of the ways that we experience in our lives and in this world evil and suffering and immorality and brokenness. But Scripture also says that our experience of God's wrath will be exponentially worse after life on earth, because Jesus says we will go to hell to suffer forever for our sin if we reject His offer to save us from hell. Romans 1, 18, 25 says, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness." and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let me talk about that for a second. What does this mean that God's wrath is upon us? Well, God's wrath is active and it's passive. This is talking primarily about God's passive wrath in which he says he allows us to pursue what is worst for us. He says, you wanna do that? I'll let you have it. And you will see what it's like to experience brokenness from that and see the trajectory that, that leads You too, okay? The wrath of God is revealed. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So is anybody in the world without excuse Nobody is without excuse in the world, okay? That's why historically, whatever you believe about God, the percentage of atheism has always been minuscule. Through, through, even before Jesus was around. Athe, everyone knows that there's more to this universe than planet Earth, okay? That there is a God who exists, 21 For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And if you think this is an ancient, primitive thing only, you're wrong. This happens in America. This happens in our finest institutions. This happens overseas. We idolize things that are not God. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Jesus wants you to know the truth because he wants you to know that humanity has exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And so if you're listening to humanity to tell you the truth, you're listening to the lie. And Jesus doesn't want you to believe it anymore. He wants you to believe him. Okay, the third reason why Jesus wants you to know the truth is because God deserves our worship. God is awesome and beautiful and glorious and gracious and compassionate and holy. And he created you so that you could share that and enjoy that with him. He created you because, to share his love with you. And he deserves your worship. This is what you were created for. Not as an obligation, but as this is what will fulfill you. To know this God. Eternal life is to know the one true God. But think about it. How can you worship God? How can you enjoy God if you don't know who God truly is? You were created with this desire to worship something greater than yourself. And that's what everybody in our society and in our world does. We enjoy worshiping, exalting, being part of things that are greater than ourselves. Why do we love to go to the Seahawks games? Because we're seeing glorious things happen a lot of times. Um, And it's exciting to be part of something bigger than us, right? Why do people take trips around the country to visit national parks? Because we want to see this amazing thing that's so much bigger than me. And this Grand Canyon, this, you know, it's old faithful, these sequoia trees. They're glorious. We want to exalt things that are bigger than us. Why do people worship movie stars and bands Why do people want to take spaceship rides to the moon and back to experience glory? But the only thing that can truly satisfy us, and most people don't know this, is that it is God who can satisfy us. It's His glory. Because He created us with this desire for His glory. And He died so that we would experience it and worship Him forever. And this is why Jesus said in John 4 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Jesus wants you to know the truth because God created you to worship Him and He deserves your worship. And fourth, <clears throat> The fourth reason why Jesus wants you to know the truth is because the eternal experience of your soul after this life on earth depends on whether you believe it. Because we've exchanged the truth for a lie, uh, because we are under God's wrath, that means that we need a savior not from an earthly kingdom, but from a kingdom from heaven to break in and to come rescue us from this place. We need someone from another kingdom to save us, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Because Jesus is God, that makes him our eternal judge. And because we are under his just wrath as our judge, we are under his wrath because of our sin. That means he's the only one who can save us, he's the only one who can save us from his wrath. He's willing to do that, <laughs> and he's willing to do that in a just way. What that means is, unlike all these trials that he's experienced from the Jews and the Romans, he's not going to sidestep the law. He's not going to just brush it under the carpet. He's not going to say, "I just, you know, I, I just forgive your sin. We'll just pretend it never happened." Jesus rescues us from the wrath of God by suffering God's wrath in our place that we deserve someone has to suffer it or else the law is not fulfilled it's not just and that's what jesus did when he went to the cross he wasn't just slaughtered by the romans he was slaughtered by god the father jesus became our sin he absorbed his father's wrath in our place he truly died he truly was dead for three days but the father who loves his son didn't allow Jesus to stay dead. We read that Jesus was justified in God's sight. Even, the whole, even though the world said he's guilty, the father said, no, he is just. And to show that he is justified, I'm going to raise him from the dead. And the father approved of what Jesus did in his perfect obedience to the law and his perfect sacrifice And as the justified son of God, Jesus rose from the dead in glory as the conquering king from heaven, okay? There's never been another king like him and you're gonna see him again. Either when you go to the grave or when he comes back. Either way, you're gonna see him and he's not coming the same way he came the first time. He's coming in glory. This is the time to submit to the king because it's gonna be too late then. Whoever believes that Jesus did this, whoever puts his trust in Jesus, whoever says, I don't want, okay, I get it. I get, what, I get what I'm hearing. I get that we were created to worship stuff and I've chosen stuff instead of God. Whoever says, I don't want that stuff anymore because I've tried it, it's, it doesn't satisfy me. And it hasn't made my life better. But instead, who turns away from that and turns to Jesus in faith, Jesus says, I save you from hell, and I unite you to myself. Jesus unites that person to himself so that now they are declared just by the Father, just like the Father declared Jesus just. They are declared not guilty of sin forever. (laughs) By God the Father we are declared the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ through faith, entirely through faith and entirely because of God's grace. That means there's nothing you could do, nothing we could add to it. It's entirely a gift of God's grace. And as a result, that person whom God saves will want this God And we'll want to love this God and take him up on his offer to be friends with the kingdom, the God from the kingdom of heaven. And we'll want to obey the God of the kingdom of heaven. We'll say, by God's grace, I want to be done with this place. I want the God of heaven. This is the truth that Jesus wants us to know. He is the true God. He is the truth about God. He says in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Father, meaning God. No one comes to God except through me. He couldn't be any clearer. There's no way to God except through God. And God is Jesus. Jesus. And this is the truth. And this is why Jesus tells Pontius Pilate in John 18.37, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to Jesus' voice? Because that's the voice you're going to listen to if you're of the truth. If if you want to know what the world is really like, if you want to be aligned with reality, then Jesus' voice is the truth that you will listen to. And he says, if you're not of the truth, then you won't believe me. You won't listen to me. And God's wrath remains on your head, which you will suffer exponentially worse after this life because you've rejected the one person who can save you from it. God loves you. (laughs) And he has gone to every length to show you what he's done to get you out of the mess that you and I made. He loves us. Let's not refuse this God who loves us. Don't refuse to believe Jesus like Pilate does in John 18 38, where we read that Pilate said to him, What is truth? Which is the question of this postmodern world today. What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So Pilate didn't believe Jesus. But neither did he find Jesus guilty of any wrongdoing. And this was the official verdict of the Romans. Jesus is not guilty. He is not deserving of jail. He's not deserving of a flogging. He's not deserving of crucifixion. You guys, I want you to think about Pilate. I want you to think about the world we live in. We are surrounded by people just like Pilate everywhere we go. In our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, we are surrounded by people who don't believe Jesus. They don't trust in him. Yet at the same time, they may not think he's a terrible person, but they don't believe he's worthy of their lives and of their worship. So Jesus left heaven and came to earth so that we might know the truth. He went to the cross so that these people, our neighbors, our friends, might be saved from God's wrath and no longer live under it. But Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore. He's in heaven. He's waiting for the appointed time to return, to come back to the earth he made to judge the living and the dead. But this morning, you guys, right now, Jesus calls all of his followers to be his ambassadors who share the truth about him with the world, just like somebody shared the truth with you at one point. Could you have been saved from God's wrath? Would you have been saved from God's wrath if someone hadn't told you the truth about Jesus at some point? Somebody did at some point. Without them, we wouldn't be saved. We would still believe the lies about God that we exchanged for the truth. As we head into Easter, I want you to think about how can you share the truth about Jesus with others with gentleness and love. It's not about winning fights or debates. We want to be smart, intellectual people who pursue the things of God to the best of our ability, but at the end of the day, fighting people doesn't win people to Christ. The love of Jesus does. It's the kindness of the Lord That attracts us to the Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit. How can you share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with the love of Jesus. By serving others in the coming weeks. And praise God that today all of you know the truth. Okay, You've heard the truth here. No one in this room gets out of it. Everyone has heard the truth this morning. And most of you I think believe it. You know the truth, you've heard it about why you're here, what God is like, what his plans are for the future of the world. So as we go out from this place, let's be praying about how we can share that truth with others this week and in the coming weeks, either partially or fully or just planting seeds in people's hearts. And as a church, as a family, we wanna tell the world about Jesus primarily two different ways we talk about, which is attractional methods and missional methods. Attractional methods are methods that we use to attract people to hear the gospel of Jesus. Just like you saw crowds coming to Jesus to hear him talk about the kingdom of God. And missional methods are methods that we use to go out to people where they're at so that we can tell them the good news of Jesus just as Jesus didn't always preach in the synagogues, but he walked through the streets and he he went to where the people were to tell them about the kingdom of God. Just this week, I heard about a men's Bible study that they're starting at the YMCA on Saturday mornings. And they're looking for men who, men who want to be part of it and who will invite their non-Christian friends. I think that's an awesome idea. That's being missional because where are people in Stanwood? The YMCA. There's a lot of people there. And so how can the church go to where they're at? Why, why can't we, they, people use a room and start a Bible study there for men? I think that's awesome. Our Easter service is about a month away, and I want you to pray this week about who you might invite to join us as we worship the Lord on Easter, because they're going to hear about the the truth of Jesus. God will. if I'm here, I'm going to tell them the truth about Jesus that day, okay? And we want to pray beforehand that God would bring everybody he wants here to be here for that day, that he would work in power on that Sunday morning. And we're going to have one big service at 10 a.m. We're all going to squeeze in here. You may not have your first class seating. You might have a little more commercial class um, legroom. room. <clears throat> um, we got several people already scheduled to get baptized during the service. It's going to be a great morning. And next week, we're going to put some invitations in the bulletin that, that are nice that, that, that we made that you can use either to, you know, just invite somebody or send them as a postcard or whatever you want to do. But that Easter service, besides being the fact that it's our worship service, it is what would we would call an attractional way of attracting people to hear about the love of God. And praise God the Father that He sent His Son Jesus to tell us the truth, <laughs> and that His Holy Spirit opened our eyes. And made us born again as we believed and trusted in Jesus. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would work through us now to share the truth of Jesus with the Pontius Pilots in our lives so that they may no longer say what is, what is truth. But instead that the Pontius Pilots in our lives would say, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. I believe that. That Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for going to Pontius's court and beginning to suffer in that trial in a unique way, God, for our sin. Even though you were innocent, and we have been guilty, and we just can't totally fathom the depth of your love for us, and the awesomeness of who you are and of your grace. We thank you, God, that you invite us to a friendship with you, that you created us in our souls to have that and to enjoy your glory with you because you love us. And we need your help, Lord. We need your help to enjoy you. We need your help to believe you and to trust you more in our lives. We need your help to turn from the world and say, I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus. So we ask that you would work in us and purify us from those things that are honoring to you and those things that separate us from the church and from you. We pray, God, that you would turn us to you. Help us to keep our gaze on you. Help us to make you the the desire of our hearts and to see all the things that we have in this world as just a temporary stewardship that we want to use to love others and to glorify your name. Be with us this week as we go out. Please show us people we can talk to and people that we can love and people that you want to hear this good news. <laughs> um, we need your help and we need your courage to do that, to speak boldly and lovingly. We pray that we would be abounding in love as you send us out as your missionaries, as your ambassadors to our community, to our workplaces, to our schools this week. We can do nothing without you, Jesus. So we pray this in your name, amen.